0: Hello and welcome to the Majlis Podcast, Radio Free Liberty's current affairs talk show focusing on Central Asia. I'm Mohammed Tahir, host of the Majlis and Radio Free Liberty's media manager here in Washington, D.C. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has had economic repercussions around the world, but Central Asia, which imports up to 90 percent of its wheat from the sources in the region, the impact of this crisis is felt on a whole different level. Already severely impacted by the economic meltdown in Russia, the rubles fall, a spike in food and energy prices, domestic economic slowdown due to the uh, COVID-19 and the drought of last year, it looks like the region is headed to the worst a crisis yet. How do things look like as we speak, and how the region is preparing for what is yet to come? What are their options, and what will be the ultimate price of the crisis? To discuss all these, I am joined by my colleagues Faruk Yusupi, the director of Radio Free, Free, Free Liberty, Liberty's Turkmen service; john Safarov, senior journalist with Radio Free, Free Liberty, Liberty's Tajik service; Bruce panier the author of Radio Free, Free Liberty, Liberty's Central Asia in Focus newsletter. And we are also hoping Alishir Sadiq, the director of the Radio for the Uzbek Service, to join us momentarily. So thank you, colleagues, for joining me in uh, what appears to be my last Majlis podcast. As it stands, June 1st will be my last uh, official day with Radio for Liberty I will discuss this in a, in a few words at the end of the conversation. But first thing is first, about Central Asia's food security. It appears that your country, Tajikistan, will be the worst affected nation under current circumstances their survival seems to be dependent on what comes from Kazakhstan in terms of the wheat imports. So what's, what was like in 2021, like 94% of wheat has come from Kazakhstan. Suddenly, you don't have access to it uh, as we speak. So how is, is the scene on the ground as we speak?
1: This is a main topic in the country that people talk about because it's it's uh, touching everyone. And as you mentioned, war in Ukraine and uh, Price hikes is affecting everyone in the country. So we recently, I, I did a study from World Food Program, and it's very interesting. And it it's it's found that number of people in Tajikistan who could not get enough food and will need help likely will rise to more than eight hundred thousand. It says that it's it is due to the war in Ukraine and the continued rise of prices in the country. According to the a study, the number of uh, people who struggling to get uh, enough food and provide their families is estimating in uh, Tajikistan it's about uh, three million and and uh, world food program studied uh, which released in April, founded the, because of the main partner of Tajikistan is Russia, I, I mean uh, the economic partner, mm-hmm. and they have a lot of trade. Uh, that's why prices in the country also affecting Tajikistan. And uh, we get stories every day from uh, the country and everyone is complaining. Uh, some uh, women in the country told uh, our colleague in Dushanbe, uh, she was uh, telling us that uh, they don't buy meat even uh, once in a month. So the prices are really affecting everyone and the people calling us every day and asking to uh, raise the issue.
0: Mm. You know, Turkmenistan is a kind of interesting case here. In some ways, sounds like a a better off, given only 15% of uh, its wheat import coming out of Kazakhstan, obviously, with the economic situation faltering, it's a huge burden. But compared to its neighbors, they might be in a better off situation, isn't it? How are things there on the ground?
2: I mean, it's relatively speaking, but you know that food shortages for Turkmenistan will not be anything new and uh, as it uh, stands with the situation that the, that Kazakhstan will be limiting its uh, exports of wheat probably Tur- Turkmen will also feel the burden but I mean Turkmenistan has been going through this uh, food shortage especially the flour and the wheat shortage for six or seven years now Turkmenistan claims that it internally it produces 1.4 million uh, of wheat but uh, the farmers who speak with us regularly they say that Turkmenistan does not even meets uh, of the state quota that they set up uh, every year. And last year, for example, the farmer's estimation was that the state quota was fulfilled only by 40%. And the indication of that was that uh, last year, Turkmenistan increased its imports of wheat, mainly from Kazakhstan. In 2020, it exported 11,000 tons of wheat. Wheat uh, in 2021, the export was over 23,000 tons. Hmm. That uh, indicates that uh, the production is not uh, 1.4 million as uh, the government claims and, of course, the situation with shortage is another indication of faltering production. How,
0: did, how, how, the, reasons for, how the prices uh, have changed, Farouk, in recent days? Prices that could be connected to the crisis that we are talking about today? Russia's invasion of Ukraine, like price of wheat, prices, price of meat or rice or things like that.
2: Yeah, the prices in uh, Turkmenistan, they constantly go up hmm. sometimes like in uh, last year during summer we saw a little bit of decrease hmm. of the prices but uh, at the moment they are more or less stable but uh, still up like on the market another thing is people cannot afford them hmm. and what the so called uh, state stores are selling when it comes to flour it's a very, very bad quality. Mm-hmm. I mean, people from Turkmenistan send us pictures of the quality of the of flour, and it is very dark. Mm-hmm. And then they make uh, a dough from flour. Mm-hmm. It doesn't stick. So I mean, it's very difficult to bake bread from that. Uh,
0: a couple, couple of days ago, Farouk, just, a, you know, sorry for cutting you off here. A couple of days ago, I, I think I have seen a report in your daily news agenda, like the authorities are kind of imposing sort of restrictions as to how much a family can buy wheat from the state-sponsored stores or normal stores. What was the story about that?
2: Turkmenistan, as I said, they have this system of state stores. Through this chain of the state stores, they provide the population with what they call food rations. Mm. And I mean, those rations are one family has a right to buy one kilo of flour per person Mm. in the family per month, and that flower costs one manat, which is very cheap in Turkmenistan. Hmm. And I'm talking about that flour, which is of very bad quality. Mm. And Turkmenistan has been reducing that food ration constantly over the past couple of years. And even uh, that ration does not reach everyone Mm. in the country. For Mm. example, I mean, you can buy it in Ashgabat Mm. or administrative centers of the provinces. Mm. But in rural areas, people are complaining that they haven't received them since the end of last year. So um, it's also the indication that the provision of wheat is not so good. And the reason for that is mainly in Turkmenistan, mainly is drought. Mm. The state does not fulfill its obligations, which are in the contract with the farmers, like Mm. they Mm. don't provide this. equipment or minerals so there is a lot of problem and this year will not be exception mm-hmm. according to the farmers they mm-hmm. say this year no way that we will be able to fulfill right. the right. the state
0: uh, water. Uh, Th- 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 John, I, I know you have to leave us earlier so let me try to read your brain as much as i can before you do so um just a kind of follow-up question about uh, where Faruch lived. one thing is yes price hikes in every aspect the second thing is are they available as we speak are those products the basic staples that we are talking about here are they available on the market as we speak
1: yes uh, there is no shortage and we don't see any uh, like shortages in the country but as Farouk said that the prices is also is going up in uh, tajikistan for example the uh, floor prices went 50 uh, percent uh, from the february sugar wow. even more than that and and oil also is jumping about about 10 percent or more in april uh compared to uh february also gasoline and diesel prices have uh, soared uh, by 20-25%, which uh, in turn, it has pushed up the cost of other uh, goods. And uh, we uh, also, for example, we talked to a a guy in Dushanbe, Mm -hmm. and he says that a large family, and they consume more than 50 uh, liters of oil uh, per month. So he needs uh, 450 somonis in months to buy amount of this oil, and he says he just gets 200 somonis. So he told us that they are buying less and less and they don't have enough to feed their family but he said what can we do and other prices also is uh, going up and up and uh, even authorities said said that they find a lot of traders because they raised their prices without uh, any Reason, but that people say that they have to raise the uh, uh, prices because they can't import it. The dollar is high, the mm. summoning is uh, down, and the
0: uh, ruble is down
1: the ruble is down and they can't do anything and my, my uh, so remittances are
0: not coming as it, as it used to be in the past but yes yeah, yes
1: is. and 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 uh, these all these factors are affecting the mostly yeah, the poor yeah. people
0: yeah know, i i cannot comprehend the the situation that tajikistan is at the moment and uh obviously the months ahead is even more tougher i mean we are talking about this uh, you know in the context of russia's invasion of ukraine and kazakhstan his name is popping up and will be popping up again and again. So the connection there is Kazakhstan uh, indeed produces lots of grain, but it used to import lots of grain from Russia, a crucial kind of bartering arrangement, which would allow Kazakhstan to continue feeding its neighbors. As we know, Russia banned wheat import as of April 15. So having lost that option, Kazakhstan also banned its wheat import to neighboring countries. You know, just uh, wanted to mention that for the context, I do not see Alicia popping up. Maybe Farouk, I will ask you to jump in, you know, with your expertise in Uzbekistan just in a minute. But before that, uh, Bruce, let me invite you. Earlier, I was looking into some news sources. I guess our Kyrgyz service, has been reporting, referring to the Kyrgyzstan as agriculture minister, that he was saying that they are short of 40% of their annual grain needs. I guess it must be a huge shock. And unfortunately, we don't have anyone from Kyrgyzstan on the on the show. But uh, so, Bruce, what you have been hearing in terms of which ways the 40% short in supply is affecting the country in Kyrgyzstan?
3: Well, first, I should say, it, I'm sure it's an absolute, it's a shock. But we got to remember, too, that last year, um, you know, it was drought mentioned that there, there's been drought in Central Asia so they were already short and they, they surely knew that this they were going to have problems this year. but be right. I mean prices are going up in Kyrgyzstan a lot of ways the same as like Tajikistan at the moment. and you know people are trying to buy in large amounts as much as they can figuring that it's only going to get higher at the near future. So you have that, that compounded problem of like any, any flower that's out there that people can buy, they're buying it up real quickly at the moment. I'm hoping, of course, that, that when it goes up in price and it's harder to find, that at least they'll have a big store. But not everyone can afford to spend hundreds and hundreds of solm, or thousands of some on you know 50 kilo bags of flour or something like that to make sure that they're set so they're going to face some problems there's no doubt about it and you're right the last year's harvest was was horrible it's also down by like 40% and and it looks like according to the recent information that this year's harvest is going to be just the same yeah. The only bright spot they got in mm. this is that Russian-led Eurasian Economic Union said that when Russia put the ban on it, or its own mm. export of wheat, mm. at least through the Eurasian Economic Union, Kyrgyzstan got an emergency allotment for food security. So they're going to get some, but nowhere near what they need.
0: Mm. Wow. Um, Farouk, just to kind of do a reality check, you know, the situation. In Uzbekistan is kind of also a d- special case here, given that they have lots of mouth to feed. On the top of that, what, like 35% of their source of wheat was Kazakhstan and it does not have access to that anymore. So how Uzbekistan has been impacted by this situation and what you, you guys have been hearing there from your family members, from your friends on the ground, what they are telling you?
2: We're already hearing that in Uzbekistan, the prices uh, for, for flour went up almost by 50% in Uzbekistan. And there are different numbers about how much wheat and flour Uzbekistan buys from Kazakhstan. Before this uh, program, I checked, one mm. source said something around like more than 300,000 uh, tons. Mm and there was another source Kazakh source said that it was over 1.3 million tons of wheat was sold to Uzbekistan last year but uh, it seems like Uzbekistan depends a lot on Kazakh wheat and Uzbekistan now is announcing that it will uh, increase the production of of wheat this year and next year by at least 1 million but it is a question whether they will be able to do that with uh, all that's on their the plates, um, even if uh, they
0: do that, Farouk, I guess, I don't know much about the farming uh, or the agriculture sector, but even if they start harvesting more grain this year, I mean, it, it, this won't be enough to cover. This year is short, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it's, they're going to be short of flour, that's for sure, and the indication of that is the the prices of flour mm. went up. I mean, you know that in Uzbekistan, it's, it's better, like the economy and the market economy is a little bit more transparent than in Turkmenistan, mm. so if the prices are going up, then that's the indication that something is not right.
0: Mm. Yeah, you know, even in a normal situation, this would have been huge, but the in the situation that we are talking about today, like in the backdrop of, you know, a chain of alarming events which elevates this crisis to a whole new level, such as the downfall of the employment market in Russia for millions of Central Asian migrants whose remittances make up up to 30% of GDP in some countries in Central Asia. And also in this kind of situation, losing up to 90% of your source of grain for a region like Central Asia, where bread is the most important staple, where some families say that they only have bread, tea, and sugar for breakfast must be a huge crisis. On the top of that, you know, the the downfall of the Russian ruble, which remains a dominant form of currency in Central Asia, the global hike in energy prices, severe drought, and the slowdown of COVID-19 leading to the current crisis. So what is next for Central Asia? What the region is doing about it? What are their options? And what could be the ultimate price that they will pay? in the region. So let's continue the podcast talking about these and many other questions very shortly. first, let me recap the debate today on the Majlis podcast. I'm joined by Farah Yuzubi, the director of Ready for the Liberties Turkmen Service, Tahir John Safarov, senior journalist with Ready for Bread Liberties Tajik Service, and Bruce Panier, the author of Ready for the Liberties Central Asia in Focus weekly newsletter. And I'm Mohamed Tahir, Ready for Bread Liberties media manager and host of the Majlis podcast here in Washington, D.C. And we are discussing the impending food crisis in Central Asia. So colleagues, you know, we have a, a lot to talk about, but in order to keep it, keep it short, instead of me inviting each of you to talk about a certain point, I will lay out the question and let you to pick up and respond the ones you choose to be most relevant to your countries. So the context in which we are discussing this matter, like all the other crises that Central Asia finds itself in, how do you see the trend, trend in a way like where things are headed in the context of food security going forward?
1: As I said, I've read an assessment of World Food Programme, and it says that there are two million food insecure Tajiks in the country so if the trend will continue there will be more than uh, three million if I may I will I would like to uh, add uh, some statistic about Tajikistan need uh, floor and uh, grain so the the country said that they they produce 900,000 tons of grain every year and they import more than uh, one million tons of uh, grain from uh, Kazakhstan and this year maybe the production of grain will decrease in the country because recently our colleagues were in the fields and they talked to the mm. farmers. They said that we couldn't buy fertilizer because it was so expensive, mm. they didn't use it. And in Tajikistan, so they it a lot of fertilizer to grow grain and other things. So uh, I think this, this year will be very hard for Tajik uh, farmers and also for their people because, as you said, uh, the prices will continue to raise and they are short of Uh, remittances and uh, the money is uh, drying up the government can't do anything so the i think this year and even Rahman said that it will be hard year for the people and they have to have some uh reserves food reserve to survive this winter
0: you know, Tahir John, especially in, in the case of Tajikistan, for example, we have seen this compounded problem, the various problems that come together here. I mean, price hikes and then lack of remittances coming out of Russia and downfall of ruble on the top that, you know, this the impending food security. I mean, this must have a huge impact on ordinary people. So what are they doing to respond to this? I mean, how they are coming up with those money that are way more than they used to pay for a kilogram of weight uh, in the past? or for the, in that case for the rice, in that case for the meat, or in that case for the energy, oil, gas. I mean, how they are coping with this? What they are doing to be able to cope with this?
1: You know, the most Tajik household, most they spend 65% of their income for food. So in this case, as they say they have to cut from medicines. They should not go to the hospital or buy books for their children. So they have to cut from other uh, main uh, things and to spend it on food like as you said they will survive by eating just a little piece of bread and uh, sugar and the tea yes they
0: do wow so that is what how people in Tajikistan is responding so how the region what the region is doing about this situation I mean it is going to hit them in some way or the other and sooner than later like in this case, Turkmenistan and Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan. It's sort of an open question. How the region is kind of, you know, preparing to respond?
2: Well, I guess all the governments in in the region are Petrified and uh, waiting with awe, what what's going to happen? But I mean, as I said in Turkmenistan's case, it will not be something new. The government hasn't been able to uh, provide with food security, despite their claims, provide with food security to the population of the country, despite their claims, and it it will probably be even harder for ordinary people in Turkmenistan and other countries, especially in Turkmenistan, where over the past five, six years, the government has not shown its ability to tackle any sort of problems, be it food security or economic crisis, it hasn't been able to to t- tackle that pro- those problems. Other countries, most likely, Kazakhstan will be better off among these countries. But I guess that Tajikistan and Kyrgyzstan will be hit uh, badly too.
0: Bruce, I was also wondering. Yeah, in cases, for example, the way Tahir was explaining, and you know, people are eating less. Trying to survive on a piece of bread and sugar, for example. I mean, all this has a limit. On the other hand, you know, if the situation continues like this, what's the breaking point from people's perspective, from the authorities' perspective? I mean, how far can it go like this?
3: Well, of course, that's a that's a really good question. Um, you know, we've heard Farouk mentioned a few times that that. Turkmenistan's been going this through this for a while. That was that's always kind of a model of you know how little can you get before you reach the breaking point. In Turkmenistan, we haven't seen them reach the breaking point yet, and I've been pretty surprised about that. In other Central Asian countries, they might not have the same kind of patience. I would imagine that when your small children start to go hungry and get sick or something, that for a lot of people, that's probably the breaking point right there. You know, there is a date to worth watching that's coming up too. Um, Kazakhs' restrictions on wheat and flour exports is due to expire on June fifteenth, and mm. by then, the Kazakh government should have some kind of idea what this year's harvest looks like. If they have to extend the ban, then it means that it's probably going to be a bad harvest, which mm. is a horrible situation for all of Central Asia. Mm. You know, who who knows? They might have enough. That, or they might see that they will have enough at the end of the harvest time that they'll be able to start exporting more wheat there's still, I'm sorry we are not even from Kazakhstan today but I know there's a lot of questions about how much Kazakhstan has stored the government assures everybody that they have plenty of wheat and flour and there's not going to be a problem but then people that are involved in the flour industry in Kazakhstan have said that that's not true mm. and that they don't have enough so really I mean June 15th will be a real big day for everybody in Central Asia if the Kazakh government says okay we're going to rely with the ban or prohibition on wheat and grain exports, then it means that maybe it won't be so bad. But if they extend it, then it's a real bad sign for the whole region.
0: Mm. You know, it's also one is guess. I mean, the authorities in Central Asia, almost all of them say in one way or the other that they have some reserves. I mean, what is the size and scope of their reserves? What are the indicators that we should keep our eyes on in terms of to determine, you know, how long they can last, how long their reserves can last? And what the world will look like for the people in Central Asia once they run out of those reserves. Yeah. So obviously the date that you mentioned in terms of Kazakhstan is expiration of the date that they, they impose. And then also, I don't know how much of an impact it will have. Like, you know, Europeans, especially Poland, is trying to create a way through which uh, Ukraine can uh, export some grain through Poland. I don't know what is that going to mean for Central Asia. It's yet to be seen. But as we know at this moment, grain uh, exports roads are kind of blockaded through Odessa and surrounding ports by Russia. But in the interim, what are the options for survival for uh, countries in Central Asia? Again, it's kind of open question. If, Tahir, you are still with us for Rahman, for example, as he has been saying, I guess it's not the first time he said this, every year when the time comes, Rahman urges people to stock up up to two years of food, you know, it's kind of become an annual bullet point in his speech. But you know, his options. What are his options, Tahir?
1: They don't have a lot of options but they're trying to get loans from international financial organization. Hmm. So, if they could do something, Tajik president wouldn't ask people to reserve for winter and get prepared. That's why we also had a report about how much grain Tajikistan can save in its reserves, and we didn't get any uh, right answer, any information about it. So, they don't have any options, and at the same time, uh, people are getting more angry. And when we talk to people in the streets in Dushanbe, they say, why they are not thinking about what are they doing mm. we are suffering here but they don't do anything mm. i think there is not a lot of options for tajik government to pre- to be prepared for the bad case scenario so, but they know that the people are just tolerant and they will tolerate any hardship. That's why I think the people will try to survive themselves and they don't see any help from the government and they are not, they are not uh, having any expectation from the government. That's why they just try to survive somehow alone.
0: Through their own means, yeah, yes. yeah, you know that that brings a sort of another follow-up question on the ultimate price that the region or the people or the authorities are going to pay the consequences of this situation. So again, that's a kind of open question for both of you, Farouk and Bruce, or whoever wants to jump in. I guess, in other words, you know what I mean is, in which shape or form the region you think will be coming out of this crisis?
3: Well, if it's a drought year, then then I imagine by August we're going to have some problems. Central Asia and our I know what they can do
0: to solve the problems. So but, when you, you know, say, Bruce, it, problem, we are going to see some problems. What, what exactly do you mean by that?
3: Uh, well, you know, people did mention that Turkmenistan's managed to take it pretty well. But, but Farouk would know better than me that in Uzbekistan, interestingly, when, even when Karimov was president, and people were real scared of the government, not having enough food was one issue, the one issue I can remember that would actually bring people out into the streets and they would complain and, and in, the Uzbek government did pretty much what the Turkmen government did, has been doing lately is just give them enough to get them through the next day or week and then forget about it again. But if there's no remedy in sight, if they're not going to get more food, you know, you got to wonder uh, what kind of problems it's going to be, especially in a country like Kyrgyzstan where there where there is a culture of protest, you know, will people be out all the time And and we've already seen what happens with governments in Kyrgyzstan when they can't meet the demands of of protesters? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kazakhstan probably won't have as big a problem because they are a grain producer, you know. But like I said, this this could lead to some ugly scenes anyway, where the governments try to assure people that food's coming and um, tell them that they have to go home and stay inside and not make a big problem about it, because um, you know patience does have its limits. So we'll see
0: how much time we got until we start seeing those kind of ugly scenes there.
3: Well, like I said, if there's drought, then I would imagine Mm -hmm. once we get through the halfway point of summer, uh, you'll start to see people getting angry.
0: Farouk, where your eyes will be to determine the direction of the trajectory going forward?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, as Bruce rightly pointed out, mm. uh, I mean, it is uh, very difficult to expect that people in Turkmenistan will be you know, staging, like, big protests. But um, we've seen over the past couple of years that people were gathering in front of the, like, local local administrations in in villages and districts. They were coming to complain about, like, lack of the Hmm. This so-called food rations and that they are not being distributed on timely manner and very small sizes of of the food rations. Probably there will be some uh, some attempt by people and when you are hungry there is nothing to lose but i am afraid that turkmen government will respond to that with uh, stepping up the repressions and we, we will have to see that and amidst this um, i mean turkmenistan hasn't Utter the word about what's going on in Ukraine, but amid this uh, sanctions against Russia and all the all the consequences like for food security, Turkmenistan not only did not restrict the export of food, but they announced that they will increase the export of the agriculture products to Russia. And uh, the farmers were telling us that uh, they received. Uh, orders to grow more tomatoes or uh, mm-hmm. other p- products that can be exported to Russia and they were very unhappy about that mm-hmm. saying that I mean, we are uh, starving to death ourselves and they mm-hmm. want us to grow the the products that will be exported to Russia mm-hmm. this again shows how out of touch the Turkmen government is when it comes to tackling, mm-hmm. uh, addressing mm-hmm. problems
0: right. Right. you know, it, it's uh, you know we have to conclude the conversation here but it's it's a huge Crisis that Central Asia found itself. So all of us, as a as a journalists, we will keep our eyes on indicators as to what comes next, how things will develop going forward beyond this stage, as the you know the size and scope of the crisis will will deepen. So maybe in just one or two paragraphs, if you would like to you know share your thoughts in terms of what are the areas, what are the signs indicators that you guys will be looking at in terms of. Where the region is headed. Bruce?
3: Well, one, obviously, watch for what happens on June 15th. Two, watch drought and see what the drought situation is going to be. Mm. But, uh, you know, for once, what I hope I see and I'm looking for mm. is that the governments start to make some moves that look toward the future and make mm. a lot more sense. Mm. Uh, you know, not not Turkmenistan so much, but, you know, there's, for instance, um, you know, we know there's a lot of migrant laborers to go to, to Russia and mm. work there. And we know there's not going to be jobs there. You know, it could be yeah, as many as yeah. 8 million migrant laborers, maybe more, I don't know, in Russia. Yeah. Um, a lot of those people left rural areas and a lot of people left the farm. Right. You know, this would be a good time for the governments to implement all Mm. kinds of agricultural projects and then make loans available and get the the farmers that are leaving the country to work in factories Mm. in Russia to go back to the farm Mm. in Central Asia and start growing food again. And another one is water conservation. You know, all the Central Asian countries have just gone through a period where there was heavy rainfalls. Mm. Uh, They did a lot of damage in a lot of places. And this happens every year in the spring. Right. And there's got to be some some way that you can build some collection pits oh, yeah, or holes yeah. or wells or something like that to try, you know, I mean, I know you mm-hmm. can't say where the water is exactly gonna fall, but like for instance, in the Fergana Valley, every year this happens, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And it does happen in Turkmenistan, there should be like some collection area for this to try to get this water and keep it for, for some mm-hmm. kind of good purpose, instead of letting it just yeah. wreck a bunch of bridges, houses and everything, and then just run out into the field and dry out, yeah. you know, build some concrete reservoirs mm-hmm. somewhere around there so that you can direct the heavy rains in there, and then you have at least some extra water when the summer comes around. Right.
0: So you are talking about the uh, takeaway lessons from out of this crisis. So let's see where when they go with this. So I guess with this, uh, unfortunately, we have to conclude the conversation. Unfortunately, also, that Ali Shir Sidi could not join us today. So, um, yeah. So thank you very much colleagues. Um, as I said, you know, this would be uh, for now at least my last Majlis podcast. It's been a great journey. You know, I started this as the director of the Turkmen Service for our local audience, but with, with Bruce joining in over the past years, it became a kind of brand of itself. So we had the opportunity to host many of you and thank you very much for being part of the journey. And I also thank every and each of our followers and listeners, their support has been a source of motivation to continue this journey. So, again, thank you very much with this. While I'm uh, gone, Bruce stays here. uh, While handing over the flag, I will ask Bruce to say a few words. With that, we will end the conversation here. Bruce?
3: I just want to say on behalf of all our audience, and, and I think on behalf of all our guests, too, that thank you for the great job you've done for more than eight years now as the moderator. And we are all waiting for the day when you return and take up that duty once again. And the sooner it happens, uh, the more I'll be satisfied, all the better. So thank you very kindly, Muhammad Tahir.
0: Thank you, thank you, Bruce. Uh, yeah, yeah, I will certainly alert our followers if events of the future develop in that direction. But for now, I'm closing the chapter. Uh, but it's been a great privilege to be uh, working with you and everyone on the panel. So I started my career uh, at RFRL almost 20 years ago as a journalist in in Europe. Then moved to Washington D.C. to represent the companies of foreign affairs correspondent, and then back in Europe to lead team as a broadcast news director. And for the past eight years managing Ready for pre Liberties media and public affairs portfolio in Washington, D.C. It's been certainly a long ride. So keep up the God's work. I will be following your work. So thank you very much. Farouk Yusupi, the director of Ready for pre Liberties Turkmen Service, Tokir John Safarov, senior journalist with Ready for pre Liberties Tajik Service, and Bruce Panier, the author of Ready for pre Liberties Central Asia In Focus newsletter. Thank you very much. So this is it from me, Mohammed Tahir. Uh, Ready for the Deliverties Media Manager and host of the Majlis podcast here in Washington, D.C.